To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have on Brent Lammers. So Brent Lammers is a photographer, videographer, and also an accomplished bow hunter himself. Uh, so we talk about bow hunting. We talk about uh, hunting elk. We talk about hunting mule deer, uh, touch on whitetails a bit. And uh, then we get into some of these super adventures. So in the last year, he went to Kodiak Island to photograph and video a brown bear hunt. Uh, it's just amazing to... Uh, hear it firsthand, you know, these adventures on Kodiak and what it entails and the, the weather and uh, tactics and, and how big these bears are. So I just really enjoyed the conversation. You can check out Brenton's website. He's got some awesome phot photography on there. Uh, it's at lammersmedia.com. So make sure to check that out. And uh, I really enjoyed the conversation and I think you guys will too. I want to thank my sponsor for today's show. I want to thank Matthews Bows. So uh, Matthews just came out with their V3X. I'm so impressed by this bow. Uh, they've got two different axle-to-axle uh, uh, -axle measurements. So they've got a 29-inch and a 33-inch. Uh, this year I went with the 29-inch. I uh, just saw that I was going to get a touch more performance out of it. And um, I, I thought I'd give it a try, and I, I'm really liking it. Uh, Matthew's bows are just so forgiving, and I don't know how this research and development team improves their bows year after year, but uh, they've done it again with this bow. It's an improvement on last year's. The thing just holds so good on target, and, and then such a forgiving shooter. And I also love that Matthew's builds these bows uh, really durable, and to hold up to all the abuse that us backcountry hunters can put on it. So uh, I absolutely trust them. Uh, they, they've they uh, done right by me for the last five or six seasons, and I just can't wait to see what this uh, new uh, Matthews V3X can do this season. So um, messing around with some arrow setups now, and uh, things just easy to tune, and um, shooting some great groups for me. So uh, really excited about it. If you guys are in the market for a new bow, make sure to go check out Matthews and uh, shoot one and, and shoot it side by side by the other bows out there. Um, super quiet, uh, uh, low vibration. Um, it's just building shooters. Just absolutely love them. So uh, go check them out over there at Matthews. Uh, I also want to thank uh, Eastman's for their support of the podcast. Uh, go check out the magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. Uh, I have a new article coming out in the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, uh, all about improving your game. Uh, this endeavor of bow hunting and backcountry bow hunting is so challenging, and it just takes constant work. And the uh, the great thing about it is that we're constantly improving and evolving our game, and and that's me included. I'm trying to step up my game, and so that's what I talk about in this article. Uh, it's a great read. Uh, pour my heart and soul into these articles, each and every one I write, to try to give you guys uh, the best Western hunting information, and it's it, it's just a, a another form of expression. The the writing, you know, versus podcasting. Writing, I get to really craft my words and. Uh, go back through and reread and make sure that that I'm getting the point across that I want to get across and um, I, I really love it I, I love writing for the magazines there's great articles in it uh, I read each and every one I love the subscriber articles um, you know my buddy Dylan Ness has been in the last couple issues for an elk and an antelope uh, he's done a great job in there uh, love seeing his spreads and the photos uh, and then I love the staff articles. That Dan Bacar is an absolute killer. In fact, I need to get him back on the podcast here. We're going to meet up, probably go to the Western Expo, and uh, so I'll get him back on the podcast. But I love his writing. Uh, I love his different takes on bow hunting as as he you know lives, eats, sleeps, and breathes bow hunting. But it, it's fun to compare and contrast ideas. And so I love reading his articles. Uh, the MRS in the back, the members research section, uh, has got great information on out-of-state hunting. And we also have a, uh, an internet research tool, uh, TagHub, where we compile all this data on the internet uh, that's accessible to you uh, with a membership. And um, you can learn about these different states and different hunts they offer. And, you know, my trophies is, came from 
you know, every different Western state. Uh, it's just amazing to be able to take advantage of these other states and learn what they have to offer and uh, how their systems work. And so it's a great resource. Uh, I do have a promo code for the magazines. Uh, you can put in um, Elevated321 and get both magazines for $50 and a Outdoor Edge knife. So check that out uh, and check out Tag Hub. Uh, just search it on the internet and uh, we'll pop up. And then also make sure to check out uh, Eastman's Beyond the Grid or Internet TV show and uh, also on the Outdoor Channel. Uh, really excited to see some of these new episodes come out. I know I've got a, a couple queued up from... Um, ready to be released from last season, and then um, some some new uh, episodes that will be coming out this next year um, from this hunting season. So excited to release those to you guys. And with that, um, man, just getting back from a family trip here. Um, yeah, just working hard, trying to catch up with construction. That, that hunting season is um, long for me, so uh, just getting back to regular life, getting my um, garage organized and... Um, life organized and getting some construction done. We've got some houses going, so battling away right now. Uh, winter time, gnarly wind and uh, weather and trying to get a roof on a place, so been working hard on that. Uh, also finishing out a house, trying to get some clients in there, and so uh, closing in on that. I'm going to go set some cabinets today over there. and uh, So just working away, construction, um, podcast, getting some great recordings. I'm just super excited about releasing these to you guys and um, super excited at some of the prospects I have and bringing these quality conversations so we can all just keep improving our game and um, get ready for this 2022 season. So um, super excited. Going to keep putting in the work and um, and uh, keep improving my game and uh, give myself a chance at success next season. So um, all right, guys, let's get into this thing. So uh, Brenton Lammers, uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Okay, I'm live here. I've got Brenton Lammers. Um, so just chatting with him here prior to uh, uh, starting the podcast and just super interesting guy. So uh, a photographer, videographer, and then goes on these amazing trips and um, also a heck of a hunter himself. So uh, thanks for joining me this morning. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so um, we were talking earlier about this season, and, um, you, you know, you just had, like, this amazing success last season for yourself. And then this season, it uh, looks like you've just been on all these amazing adventures with guys. I was looking at your um, social media, and I saw that that epic picture of a bull coming through the cornfield, and then you got your buddy, like, at full draw. Just this epic photo, man. It was wild. It um uh, it, it, it's one of the, one of the coolest photos I've seen. I just, um, I really enjoyed looking at it and looking at your page. Oh, well, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. That was a really cool experience. Um, yeah, my buddy, he drew that once in a lifetime, uh, bull tag here in Nebraska. And we, that was our big focus this year. Um, just, we kind of, we had drawn the, the Wyoming, uh, general tag and we had, we had plans of going to Wyoming together and Nebraska's got a later draw. And so as soon as he drew that, it was like all of our eggs go in that basket. And we had, we had hopes of making it back out to Wyoming still, but, um, we were just so focused on trying to get him a, a bull that he was going to be really proud of. And that's how that encounter came about, but definitely a different experience hunting, you know, elk in the corn. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, looks like you guys killed a great bull. I saw like, uh, you had some night shots of it. Um, man, a really good shots. Like, um, how do you, how do you shoot that? Did you do like a, a long exposure and then just give like some passive light to that bull with your headlamp or how did you make that shot come out? Um, yeah, on that one, actually it was a long exposure with a tripod. Um, they had, they had gone to get the vehicle and, and the stuff to cut up the bull. And I said, well, it's worked out good. Cause I need a little time to take a few photos here. I'm just going to stay here. And, um, yeah, it was a long exposure. And, you know, about halfway through the exposure, I use my flashlight to light up like the foreground um, down so you can actually see the bull itself. And then, of course, we had the Milky Way and all the stars above. So, you know, he, he shot it with uh, eight minutes left of legal light on the, the last possible day that he could hunt. So um, it was just kind of a storybook elk hunt, I guess, as far as that goes, and um, was able to capture some cool photos you know after we were done so 
man, the last eight minutes of shooting light. Talk about uh, like bringing it down to the wire. That's crazy. Yeah, I was nervous for him. I mean, he had put in so much work, and and I was, you know, there alongside of him for most of the season, you know, and and uh, then all of a sudden the bull just stepped out with eight minutes left, and so um, it worked out. You know, it doesn't always happen that way, but I was I was really happy that it did for him. It, it was it made for a it was we went through all the emotions on that hunt, so. Yeah, man, that's magic when it when it happens like that. So New, Nebraska has elk down there. Um, I don't think I've ever heard or seen any photos of um, elk in Nebraska. Like I guess, like Nebraska's, it's a uh, it's uh, one of the stepchildren of the Western states. It seems like you know it sits right on the edge. But there's good hunting in these edge states and good opportunities. Do you live in Nebraska? Yeah, I live in Lincoln, so on the east side of the state. We don't we don't have any elk on this side of the state, but. You get about central Nebraska and, and further west, and they're scattered in little pockets here and there. So hmm. some of them in rough canyon terrain. There's actually some elk in the sand hills now. Um, and then, you know, of course, it's really random where they live. And But they get in these cornfields, and, uh, you know, it's like a it's like a forest. You know, you, you can't see anywhere. And there's, they got water. They got corn. Um, very strange hunting them there, you know, based off of, you know, what I'm used to in Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, but, but definitely a cool experience too. Hmm. They really adapt to their environment, don't they? Like living in that corn, like I've never seen or heard of that either, but I have seen elk that'll live in thick bottoms and things and use that, that cover to be able to hide. And it's amazing, like how a 700 pound animal can hide in that stuff and you just never see them or they, they don't make many mistakes. Oh man. They, they know how to hide in there and you, you can't sneak it in on, I mean, it sounds really dumb. Sounds kind of easy, but when you go to do it, I mean, they go into the corn before sunrise and then they, they don't come back out until dark and you can't, you make so much noise going through there because it's so thick. I mean, you can't even walk through there unless you have a really, like a really good wind. They just lay up in the corn all day. Um, they got, like I said, food and water, and they just know, you know, like especially the big bulls, they know, like, as, as long as they're in there, they're pretty much safe. So. Hmm. Yeah, uh, bow hunting just seems to be like high-level problem-solving, and every habitat and every species just, like, challenges us to our core where you get there – and even if it's good hunting or you find animals, like you, you always run into these these problems or these challenges, you know, that you have to overcome to be able to try to be successful. And and that seems like the same there, like a totally different habitat than than I would be used to, uh, but definitely has its its challenges that have to be solved. That's wild, man. That that sandhill country looks like really good for for deer as well. Looked like you killed a heck of a deer. Was that out in that country last year? Yeah, I was um I was actually out antelope hunting last year and there's some there's some big mule deer out there in some places, you know. Um but yeah, we I've done some mule deer hunting out there, you know, exclusively also, but on this particular trip last year, we were um out antelope hunting and and there is one draw on this farm that we hunt, a ranch, and um if there I mean, you'll go days without seeing a deer in some of this country. Um but then all of a sudden there's <clears throat> certain pockets that they're in you know um but yeah we were riding around looking for antelope and um we parked the truck and we were walking up over the hills just get a good wind in your face that's my favorite way to hunt the sand hills you find out which way the wind is just get a good wind in your face and just start walking the hills you start just you know peeking over the hills slowly when every time you get to a rise and and uh, as long as you got a good wind and the noise your noise is covered <clears throat> you can sneak up on them pretty good but found this buck bedded down in this little uh cattail draw um with some does and you know he thought he was hitting his his antlers were sticking up really nice he's a big wide buck um not super heavy but um was able to get in close on him and as i was sneaking in a doe the doe spotted me stood up and i ranged her at 43 he stood up and i let one fly and i just hit him i x'd him and uh he didn't go 30 yards but he was ended up being 29 and a half inches wide um which is great for a nebraska buck for sure man he looked like a great one yeah he looks super wide 
Uh, yeah, way to work. Like, um, I love like that canyon coulee country and weather. You know, like in Montana, we've got like we're on the edge of the Badlands in places, and then the Missouri breaks, and um, and, and even northern Montana, it just seems to create the this canyon country with all these folds. And it seems like in that country, it like takes um. Uh, a a different like there's a different approach to hunt it like I don't I don't usually grab like a master vantage point and sit there all morning long it seems like you almost have to just work your way through country because they tend to work those bottoms in those um, in those draws and such to where a lot of times they don't even show themselves to to like a master vantage and, and you know sometimes you can get across a big draw and glass it up but for the most part I like doing what you do like this mobile vantage point where you like like move through country with a good wind in your face like you were stating and you just get to the edge all these canyons and then glass them and and then try to get different angles along there but boy you really got to be on the ball because when you spot them they can be close and they can also see you and it's easy to make mistakes and come too far over the rise or like there's a a whole skill set there to being able to come over the top and glass them but yeah it sounds like that's what what works well in that that sandhill country as well oh yeah you definitely nailed it and it's it's tricky you know i i will i will set up you know get on a vantage point for maybe the first hour or two of the morning um but you know i can't sit there all day and, and there's so much country you can't see and if they're not if they're not cresting some of these sandhills and stuff you're just not going to see them so you get a good wind in your face and you can cover some serious ground but of course like you said being able to see them before they see you is uh, the hard part and then you know usually if you can see them first they're pretty stockable in, in that type of country. But, you know, you got them does that are bedded to the side. And, of course, you know, you know all about it. But Yeah, there's um, no shortage of challenges with those does in their eyes and picking you out. It's like not just the buck you have to beat. And sometimes it's the deer you don't see, too. You know, you make this game plan and start coming in and then bounce a doe into the buck. Or, you know, there's there's a million different things that can go wrong with that scenario. But, yeah, it's super fun. It seems like um you get to those edge of that canyon and you really have to, like, um hone this skill set of, like, coming over the top and, like, like I like to, you know, your your um, instincts are telling you, your body's telling you, everything in you is telling you, like, get over the top and then sit down and then glass it all. But but the right move is to, like, take a step and expose a little bit of country and then just really dissect that with your binos and then take another step and dissect that. And really these slow approaches when you're coming over these hillsides so that you can see them first. And just like in, in your scenario, it sounds like you spotted that buck's horns before you saw anything. Yeah, he was, like, in that – he was in that cattail draw and had some pretty, you know, white-colored horns. Uh, our antlers and um like i said he he just happened to be bedded facing the other direction we kind of lucked out there but could just see his see his rack sticking out above the grass and made for a perfect stocking scenario my brother was with me and um it just we were really you know we weren't expecting the mule deer hunt that day we're always open to it you know i always carry a tag in my pocket but uh it just worked out man so, um yeah. Yeah, that's way cool. Uh, you guys uh, end up catching up to an antelope too. I did, yeah. So um, shot a pretty good antelope. Also, um, I actually had drawn a, a rifle tag last year. We can get a rifle tag every, you know, four to six years, depending on which unit you're putting for in Nebraska. And I normally archery hunt, but um, I drew a rifle tag last year, and so I connected with the with the rifle also. Nice. Um... Yeah, the the rifle allows you to be a little bit choosier, especially when you only get a tag every four to six years and um, really try to hunt for one of those giant bucks out there. Um, it gives you just like a little bit more range, and you can still make mistakes, but um, uh, it definitely allows you to be a little bit pickier, which is really nice. Yeah, that's exactly it. If, and when, you know, when I go out archery hunting, um, it's pretty much – any decent buck is in trouble. Um, it's, if it's stockable at all, I'm going after it. Um, when you got a rifle tag, um, we can look over. It's kind of your opportunity, you know, once every five years or whatever to try and shoot a nicer buck um, and be a little bit more selective. And, you know, if I get that opportunity, I'm going to take it. So um, it's, it's fun. You know, you can kind of cover ground with a little more confidence that way and, and keep moving around until you find a good one. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and I also saw that uh, it looked like you had just like this heck of a season last year. Dude, I saw the biggest whitetail on your page. Uh, uh, you killed that thing last season? I did. Yeah, that was um, that was a heck of a hunt. Um, so back home, I, what I call home here on the east side of the state, we do um, get really big into the whitetails too, um, food plots and strategizing and um, trying to grow some big bucks or, you know, um, let them pass and, and let them get some age on them. And me and my buddy Matt, he's he's kind of a whitetail fanatic, and it's really fun hunting with a guy like that because it just makes it exciting. You know, we, we we're constantly bouncing ideas off of each other on, on um, you know, strategizing on trying to grow some big deer. And um, the previous year he had shot a, a 184 non-typical mm. off of the same uh, off the same farm, and that buck and this buck had been running together. Um, and then after that one, he killed that one. This one and another one had been running together. That was a stud also. And anyways, we watched this deer for a couple of years, and um, it's just cat and mouse, you know, uh, trying to strategize how you know how we can get in on them and of course they're staying nocturnal and everything else but um it worked out last year he he actually uh we had him on camera um he was showing up pretty regularly during the summer and then we had him on camera um i think it was four or five nights in a row he was um hitting acorns and he was completely nocturnal and he was hitting acorns um between 12 a.m and 4 a.m that's the only time we'd see him during this stretch um and we were just watching cameras close and finally um it was a monday night he came out 15 minutes before dark so we had i don't know if you probably don't listen to mark jury on the white tail stuff at all but i'm a firm believer in in kind of stuff he says we had a um, high pressure day with a first south wind and, and pressure over 30 and that's kind of a recipe for for big whitetail movement in my opinion and uh anyways he came out 15 minutes before daylight or before dark <clears throat> and so the next night i was there on the stand and he did the same thing again and um came out 20 yards and it was just uh you know kind of a roller coaster of emotions because we had put so much time and effort into that deer and trying to get on him and he, he ended up going 183 and some change and just a giant um, we call them the split G2 buck because he had split G2s on both sides, but um, it was a lot of fun chasing him. Man, um, an absolute giant. Uh, you guys got to go check out the photo on your Instagram. What's your Instagram again? It's just Brenton.Lammers. Yeah, um, great page. And that whitetail buck, what a specimen. Uh, it's like um, it's such like a chess game with those whitetails. They get they get so good at living in small areas and then growing old and definitely us mule deer hunters can learn a lot from you white like uh whitetail hunters like um uh just um how difficult your quarry is in such a small area and how these mature bucks they get to be almost a different species when they get that old and just like you said like running this nocturnal program where the deer isn't even showing himself during uh legal hunting hours but you know like uh trying to keep tabs on them and and um trying to pass the smaller bucks and then like what you were saying with that high pressure elaborate on that a little bit so you think um or you heard that from Drury that um high pressure days is like good movement for those bucks and about like um what date did you kill that buck or like what season are you hunting there is it like pre-rut you know what that buck that was like mid-october i think maybe it was october 19th or 21st which is honestly normally earlier than i would have been hunting him but just we were trying to pattern him and pattern him and just happened to you know see what was happening with the weather coming up and so what it is is basically you get some warm days and all of a sudden you get a little cold front and the the pressure rises and for whatever reason that 30 mark is kind of the threshold in my opinion is it gets them bucks moving just a little bit more and get them a little bit more active during the daylight or, or closer to it at least. Um, but that day the pressure was over 30 and we, it was the first South wind after several Norths. 
Um, but it just, I don't know this, I don't know it, how it works out, but Dur explains it well and I study it and, and, and my buddy Matt's really big with the moon phases. It was on a red moon. Um, and it sounds like hocus pocus sometimes, but like <laughs> consistently it works and that's where we see our big buck movement. And so anytime I see that like coming up on the calendar, I try and slot out my days and, and, uh, make, you know, be out there in the stand if I can. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, like I think us elk and mule deer hunters, which you're an elk and mule deer hunter too, but I think we can draw from that as well. Like, um, So it sounds like it's been um, warmer, you get a cold snap, you got these cold north winds, and it seems like that 30 that you're um, referencing is the barometric pressure, and so all of a sudden like yep. that, that cold weather breaks into like a – a, a nice day or it starts to change and the the wind changes from the north to a warmer south wind and it it's just like that that cold weather system is kind of breaking and those um deer want to be active so totally makes sense to me yeah it's just the big change in weather yeah that's that's the biggest thing but it's it's always so interesting how they can hide so well in such a little area um we know they're on this farm we we know he's around here we just cannot find them um, but it's, it'll, it'll, uh, take up a lot of space in your brain during that time of the year. It's, it's a lot of fun chasing them. So hmm, wild. And then what do you, uh, you were talking about the moon phases and your buddy that's really into whitetails in the moon phases. And, uh, you said hocus pocus, which I just think is funny, but I, um, but I do like, I have a tough time. Like, I haven't been able to tie my hunting to the moon phases as far as elk or mule deer, but I know some guys do. And so, like, I almost disregard it, which is the wrong attitude to have, you know. But there, there definitely something is something in play there, you know. And I always think, well, it's full moon, but it's overcast, so they're not getting much moonlight. And I know, you know, like, a, a definitely like a bigger, brighter moon, they'll feed more at night. Um, so they're not as active during the day, but like, what's kind of some of the things you've learned with the moon phases or some of the things you pay attention to. And you also mentioned like seeing these phases come up on a calendar and then booking your hunting days for those. Um, and, and do you see any relation in your elk hunting that you do like in different States? Yeah. So, and I will say that, you know, with elk hunting and, and mule deer hunting, I do think it's different, you know, one thing about whitetail hunting is usually you have a small farm to hunt. And if you're hunting on bad days, you're really just doing more harm than good because you're putting your scent out there. You got a chance of busting them. If they're not going to come out until after dark anyways, you might blow them out, you know, coming out or going in. And so it really comes down to that doing more harm than good and, and trying to be affected by only hunting, you know, the right days instead of just hunting when you can hunt. And um, that, that's how I used to do things. Just, I have this, this day to hunt, and so I'm going to hunt, um, and I might just choose the best stand for the wind. But um, now I'm kind of more selective, and I really think that helps keep keep the bucks around. You know, even if it's not the right day to hunt them, they're not they're they're on your farm, and you're not blowing them out to the neighbors or or whatever. But um, as far as moon phases go, the red moon, and it, it's just like a full moon. They're more active during the night. They're not going to be you know, um, moving as much during the daylight typically. Now, when the rut comes, that kind of all goes out the window because, um, I don't, you know, they will rut harder at night when, you know, you have a full moon, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to be in the stand. So that's, that's different. Um, but I'm talking like mid October when it's, it's, or anytime in September, October, you know, I'm, I'm basically hunting off the cameras, pressure, um, pressure systems and the weather, um, in, in the moon, um, the red moon, for whatever reason, has been really lucky for us. Um, just consistently, it seems like you get a little bit more buck movement um, in legal light. So, and what is a red moon again? Like, I know I've seen them, but like, how do you find that on the calendar? What is it exactly? You know, I don't even honestly know other than it's, that's what it shows on the calendar. And we tie it together with our trail cameras. And, you know, we run like 30 30 some trail cameras on average usually. And so we're like trying to study this stuff like scientists all the time, you know, looking, my buddy Matt texted me yesterday and said, our three shooter bucks showed up on this South farm this week last year. And so like, he's looking at year over year data, you know, and, and it's how it ties together is, is kind of consistent. But, um, 
he's really the one that's really the big on the moon and got me onto that thing. Um, and I started kind of riding his coattails on it, but and he's made me a believer, but the red moon, for whatever reason, um, full moon is not good. Um, because of, you know, like I said, the more night movement. Um, but that's kind of what I know about it. I just go off what the calendar says. So, yeah, it's super interesting, man. Like, um, you like I say, it's like a it's like a chess match with these whitetails, and it's so much work that you guys put in with these uh, these cameras, uh, uh, hanging your stands, and then, um, you know, also you were talking about like low impact, like not going into the farm on a bad day because you get your wind in there, and, and I think um, you know, it's Western hunters, like we can learn something from that as well, like. Uh, 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 there's nothing better than being into elk and being into mule deer when you're in the mountains. Um, but really picking and choosing our time to go all in, like being patient and waiting for the, the right win. And like I had a buck I hunted this year in Colorado that I really wanted to kill. And, um, you know, the first day, like I can see and keep eyes on this buck and there's no other hunting pressure around. And I'm backpacked way into the mountains and hunting this buck at 12,000 feet. But, you know, for, I kept my eye on him for a lot of days before I finally went all in and made my play. Like the first day, we had some systems coming in, um, some rain showers that came in, and it was just made for a real fickle wind where I, I didn't want to risk it and go in and get my scent in there and bust that buck out and have that be my chance. And a lot of times, you only get one play at these big bucks. And so, you know, I kind of passed that day. Next day, he wasn't in the right spot. He's in the wide open. Uh, next day, like, I had, I went in and closed the distance inside 200 yards and was hoping he'd come my direction or make a move, and I just waited there all day long in the shades of these trees, like, waiting for my opportunity. It didn't happen, and so, like, I kept just playing this game tentatively and, like, not getting my scent in there, not blowing this buck out. Till when I finally saw him in the right place, had the right wind, hiked all the way around this mountain and came over the top. And um, I wish the story ended with me arrowing this buck. I actually, yeah. l like I ended up uh, uh, missing him. He came out with, all his buddies came out, and it was like these tense 30 to 40 minutes of him being in bow range and me trying to get a shot without alerting the other deer. And God, I just got twisted up and steeped downhill and sent one like skimmed it right over the top of his back, which, you know, just happens as a bow hunter or whatever. But the point of the story is, is that I hunted him real passive and tentatively. He was a great buck and really waiting for my opportunity to go all in. And um, it, it really sounds like that's how you guys play those whitetails. And, and I think we can learn from that. And also, like on these elk, like being into elk is great and seeing a six point is great, but like just being into these elk and then waiting for the right moment when that when that rut really gets kicked up and it's just this rut fest and bulls all over and going all over instead of blowing them out and then having to go look for them again. Like, like I think, you know, it's so difficult to spot and stalk and be successful that I really think we have to pick and choose our moments to go all in like that. And that's it definitely sounds like that's what you guys do with those whitetails. Yeah, for sure. And I, I should say, look, we, man, those days go fast when you're waiting, you know, you, you know, they're there and you want to hunt. And that's exactly what happened with us on this elk hunt in September. Um, we, we saw these giant bulls and we, we wanted to hunt them. Um, but they weren't coming out during legal light. You know, you'd go out at midnight, 2 a.m. and you just hear them bugling up a storm you know and then they disappeared we have 90 we had a bunch of 90 degree days in september and it was just killing us being able to like we know they're there we we just can't we can't make a move on them because of you know they're in the corn and they have 30 cows around them and the odds of you just sneaking up walking up on this one bull uh, it's just uh it's, it's frustrating but um you kind of got to wait to the right right time to make your move now in the mountains um obviously it's a little bit different um where you just you know when we were hunting on in the corn um and i've elk hunted in nebraska and not been in the corn but when we were hunting in the corn you blow them out you're blown to the neighbors and the neighbors got hunters and so you you may well just be not see that bull again if you blow them out um 
we're out in the mountains, you know, usually you're sending them over to the next drainage or miles away that you can hopefully get on them. But um, it, we had to be very particular about not pushing these elk out of where they were. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, and I saw um, you arrowed a bull, like a good bull, last season. Um, was that in Colorado or Wyoming, somewhere in the mountains? That was Wyoming. And um, so Wyoming's got that buddy the shared point system. So last year um, I went with my brother and we drew a general tag. And so we were in Wyoming and just kind of bouncing around and found some good, good areas to hunt. You know, it was a really dry year last year. Um, first couple spots we went to, was just kind of droughted up and there was no elk around. And we went to this third spot and um, we got into the bulls and we kind of split and we're each hunting on our own. And, um, I, I got into the bulls and kind of a long story short, I, I arrowed this bull in this thick, nasty, up and down dark timber and uh, couldn't find him right before, you know, I shot him right at last light type of deal and um, came back the next day and found him. And um, that was a heck of an experience, though. Um, and my brother kind of came and helped me, you know, pack him out and everything, but um, that was a really good experience. We were way back in there, like I said, thick and nasty, steep area. That turned out to be kind of a, a nightmare, but it was a really, really fun hunt. Man, solid work. Like those those um, big public land bulls, they just don't come easy. And in, in the mountains, like it's so grueling. And, you know, guys can, you know, you can have years into trying to kill a mature bull like that. Five years more, you know, like uh, you look at uh, the successful odds on a bull elk, like even in Montana that has great general season hunting, it's it's like for a bull elk, like I think total elk is like around 6% with a bow. I think a bull is like 3%, you know, and if you uh, extrapolate those odds, like, uh, you know, guys are killing a bull with their bow once every 20 years or something, which is crazy. But, um, you know, if you uh, evolve your hunting skills and, um, uh, uh, you know, and, and make the right moves, like it can all come together. So kudos to you, man, to, to show up in Wyoming and kill a bull like that and um, make a good shot on them and, um, you know, kill them in the backcountry. That's what dreams are made of, man. It, it really was a dream trip. Yeah, it was um, like I had put so much work into getting to that point and to have it actually come out. You know, I've hunted a lot in Montana and in Colorado and um, so many close calls and, and uh, to have it come together last year was, was really special. Um, you know, I started to say they had the, the share point system because I drew that general tag with my brother last year and, and kind of shared my points with him. Well, my buddy Ryan, um, this year said, I said, well, I got a good spot to go. And he had, he just happened to have some points. And so he was kind enough to share his points with me and pool them together as a buddy so that we had enough points to draw buddy this year for the general. And we were, we had intentions to go back that same spot well that's when he drew the nebraska tag and that's why we ended up here um so anyway it's just kind of a backstory but i love just th that's my favorite thing of all is is um bow hunting elk in there and when you can actually get into them i mean there's just it just can't beat it Oh, you can't beat it. Well, yeah, it sounds like um, you've been paying your dues with elk. Like, uh, uh, it takes a specialized set of tactics to be able to to hunt elk and get close to them. And it it um, you, you do just have to pay your dues. And the you know, and and there's a lot of information out there, and you can read and practice your calls and and e scout and um, shorten the learning curve by like listening to podcasts and things of that nature. But really, it's just like um, it. It's like getting out and getting that experience and putting that knowledge to use and those theories to use and almost developing your own style to hunt them and whether you know you're a caller and then do you like to cow call at them do you like to bugle maybe you use both but you you kind of like develop this skill set for hunting them or these preferences for hunting them and I'm I'm like a spot and stock hunter hunting these um, big herd bulls and and uh, I've committed to that where I don't even carry a call in my pocket the only cow call I make is like when I'm at full draw trying to shoot that bull and trying to stop him you know but you you have to 
develop like your own style of hunting and you have to get that elk experience like the the more you hunt them the better you get at it and an elk it can be all or none too so like you were saying uh it's really fun when you're into them you know and uh that is the funnest part of elk hunting but a lot of elk hunting is like not being into them like they're so nomadic by nature that they work like these huge mountain ranges in a network of like these feeding features and bedding grounds and so you can hike into the best elk spot in the world but your timing's just off and they're not in there and, and you just find sign from a few days ago and they have moved through and so it's like like a big part of that elk hunting, a big part of killing elk is just being into elk. And so you have to develop that skill set as well as your skills at, at hunting them. And they they really are challenging. And that's why, like, like uh, there's so many guys that love to hunt elk with a bow and um, so many guys that, that want to kill good bulls with their bow. It's because it's it's so fun and so challenging, man. I, just, I love it, too. Oh, man, I got the bug bad and um... – that's what I look forward to every year, getting out there and 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 getting into them, uh, you know, bugling bulls and the, being in the middle of them and trying to make it happen. And uh, it's it's the best. It is the best. Yeah, it's uh, super cool for sure. Well, good. I bet you're getting ready for your application season and trying to end up with a tag somewhere. You don't have any more buddies with Wyoming points, do you? No, I need to. I need to start reaching <laughs> out to old friends and see if they've been flying. I guess I don't know. Um, <laughs> Uh, I put in for a Fognac um, elk yesterday, um, just did my application um, for Alaska, which I think would be a, a really cool hunt. Um, this brown bear hunt that I was just on, one of the guys, he's actually a guide, um, and he he was wanting to go to a Fognac and hunt, and so we kind of got together with a game plan, and uh, it's a low-odds draw, and uh, of course I'm putting in all sorts of draws, but uh, that would be a a really cool experience. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Um, well, you just got to get your name in the hat and see where you end up. There's a bunch of good opportunities around that Fognac. Um, I remember talking to Remy about it and, um, yeah, he was talking how difficult it was in the, the brush and hunting those things or whatever. Um, yeah, it sounds super cool. It'd be a great opportunity and, and like what a, a different experience hunting elk. Like there's all these different places we had talked about hunting them in the corn, uh, Fognac is a is a totally different experience, man. It'd be super cool. So that that um that brown bear hunt, wow, man, how wild. Uh, yeah, I saw that you went on that hunt. Was that a Kodiak brown bear? Yeah, that was um that was a pretty crazy experience. That I just got back from that. That was um end of October. We left on like the 21st, and it was a two week two week deal. Um, I just went as a photographer um for this this other guy here in town that was going on this trip and and asked me to come with and uh that was just amazing country and um a really cool trip but uh we felt very fortunate that he invited me to go with and and help capture the hunt for him um but yeah that's you know you, anytime you got the plane or the the trip starts out with taking float planes and and boats and hiking into the backcountry like that, um, it's it's going to be a good one. Man, what a, a cool opportunity for you to go photograph a hunt like that, like to be able to go to Kodiak and see some of those giant brown bears. Um, man, that's absolutely wild. So you took a float plane out. Uh, it's guided. Of course, non-residents have to be guided for brown bears, so you yep. guys had a guide. And, um, yep. and, and then uh, you guys backpacked into a spot? Yeah, we we basically, you know, you you start on the ocean and you go up valley up these river drainages and and um we went up up valley ended up set up a base camp and I learned a lot about brown bears, you know, I've been black bear hunting quite a bit um but uh brown bears never, you know, this is my first time of course. Um but we got in there, set up base camp and basically they set up base camp on a perch um overlooking these river valleys and they basically don't move um until you have the right stock opportunity these, these big brown bears you, you know your nine foot plus brown bears they're so sensitive to smell the guy was telling me um you know if you walk across this river valley right now three days later a giant brown bear comes down and hits your scent where you stepped first of all it, the wind will blow your scent up and down the river valley for miles and he said if there's a 
a truly a big bear, they'll be gone. You will not see one. But if he hits your scent, he'll he'll stop. He'll look to the left. He'll look to the right. And he'll know which way you went, and he'll turn around and go the opposite direction and go for miles. Um, and he's this guy killed, um, you know, more book bears than just about anybody on Kodiak. So I was trusting him with everything he said. But we basically sat up on this perch and glass bears every day. And it's just a, a seriously a patience patience game, and it will test your patience because, you know, I'm used to seeing elk across the valley, and it's like, okay, they bed down, let's go. Um, but this was had to be the perfect stalking scenario. Um, the first day at camp there, we saw 17 bears from camp. Um, it's just a lot of bears from one spot. Um, so it was loaded with bears, but they were very particular about what they wanted. They only wanted the biggest boars, um, only the perfect stocking situation. Um, and these bears were feeding on salmon down below us. And so, you know, they weren't, they were moving constantly. And so, um, getting, getting the right scenario was pretty hard. We actually didn't go on our first stock until day seven. Um, you, you know, even though we were seeing bears every single day, um, and we got really close, um, that was pretty intense. We got down, <clears throat> to the bottom of this we went down the hill to the bottom and um got in some brush and we could see the bear maybe 35 yards from us um we could see him in the brush in the hunter set he's got his bow and we're waiting and waiting and the bear's not coming out the wind kind of swirled and we could see him stick his nose in the air i'm like oh crap um ryan uh one of the guides he started um, doing this call it sounded like a wounded blacktail um kind of this whiny rabbit distress sounding kind of call and trying to get the bear to come out of the brush towards us. And the bear stuck his head up when he started walking towards us, came about 10 yards closer. So he's only maybe 25 yards away and you can just see his head swaying back and forth in the brush. Just a giant animal. You know, they look big from up above, but you get 25 yards from them and they're just, they're just beasts. And um, anyways, he, he sat there for a while and he, he just knew something wasn't right and he, he turned around and, and left and didn't give him a, a shot opportunity. That was on day seven. Um, and then on, on day eight, um, he actually, uh, got a bear on day eight. Um, just, we would, we had been watching from camp there and there was two big boars fishing down below and we were watching for quite a while, <clears throat> three, four hours, something like that, I think. Um, and finally they, they had been eating a bunch of salmon and, and finally they went to bed um, a few hundred yards apart from each other. And the bigger of the two um, bedded out, it, was, it just looked wide open. But of course, you know, when you get down there to it, it's really like um, uh, rolling hills and, and tall grass, you know, kind of waist deep grass. And he bedded out in the open and um, the hunter Seth. He, he was, uh, it started out, he's, you know, he wasn't committed to a bow, but he wanted to shoot him with a bow if he could. But he said, you know, if it comes down to it and there's a, the right bear and the wrong opportunity, or the, the wrong place, he, you know, he would use a gun if he had, if he, you know, if he had to. So being eight day and a half of a 10 day hunt, he, he decided to go with the rifle where he was bedded. And we, we went down there and we were about 80 yards away and the bear poked his head up. And you could just see from the neck up and he didn't have a shot. So it's kind of a tense moment there. <clears throat> and he stared at us for over two minutes and, um, he pokes his head back down as so you couldn't see him at all. So we just kind of went right at him because we knew he was going to be taken off and he ended up popping back up and he started shooting and, and he ended up putting some good shots in that bear and in walking up on that thing. Um, like I said, just a, just a giant animal. That was a really cool experience. Dude, how intense. That close encounter with the bow is absolutely wild. Um, yeah, those um, those guys, uh, like every species and every habitat, like uh, you get like this specialized tactic to hunt them, and those guys definitely have it dialed out there. But yeah, master vantage point. That's like how we hunt black bears out west here a lot. Um, but yeah, you got, it is really tough to sit in one place all day long. You know, it, it takes such patience and yeah, well, dang near drive you insane, even if you're seeing brown bears, but that's wild. Yeah. It sounds like he's got a great spot where, where you guys were sitting and 
seeing a bunch of those things. Yeah, it was. It was. I couldn't have honestly asked for a better hunt. Um, you know, in my opinion, um, we were seeing we saw bears every day. Even on the slowest day, we saw four bears, um, and it was raining sideways. We had one stretch there; it was over sixty hours straight of rain, um, wind blowing. You know, the, the, your typical Kodiak weather that you would expect. Um, just nasty wind, rain, and then the, then the snow came after that, and the temps were down in the around twenty. And um, but you know I was loving it. Um, I just I kind of like that the, the nastier. You know, it just felt cool to be out there. I guess. Oh, what a wild adventure, dude. It's just worlds away from Nebraska, you know, and to go out there and be seeing those brown bears. Yeah, I bet they look giant, but up close, like when he killed that bear, like how big are those things when you walk up to him? Just unreal, right, compared to a black bear or anything you've seen before? Oh, my God, yes. Um, You know, he's 6'6", and he's holding the paw and with his two big mitts. You know, he played college basketball. He's a big guy, and... uh and you know it just looks like a giant even against him um and it really was big long claws and um you know i'd hate to i'd hate to tussle with one and you know he ended up shooting a 375 h and as many i will say that was kind of um discouraging or or uh worrisome as as many shots as that thing took with the 375 h and good shots and just kept going and going and going makes you think a little twice about carrying a sidearm and what that thing's going to do if you uh, run across one in the bush. Oh, right? Like trying to stop one of those things on a charge or something? Um, yeah. He just ate up that 375, huh? Multiple shots and the uh, kill shots, and that bear was still going? Oh, yeah. He just kept running, just kept going and powering, and, and then he just kept shooting, and he was spinning, just getting mad, you know, when just kind of like a coyote does if you would shoot it back and biting at the wound and growling and um yeah uh, it was you know intimidating at the, the the level of sheer power that those things have i guess mm, dude how wild um i can't i can't um uh wait to see like i've seen a couple images on your instagram or whatever but i can't wait to see some more of your images you captured on that hunt but what an amazing opportunity to be able to go on that and experience that and you know being a photographer and going on some of these hunts it's a pretty cool opportunity for you to like get to go experience it but not have to write the check for it you know or like uh uh you know you 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 get to share in the hunt with the hunter and with the guide and the experience and in that place and see everything with your own eyes capture it behind the lens of course is what you're there for but um what an awesome opportunity uh, just to be able to see it and um, go go do that type of hunt, man. Are you looking to do more stuff like that, uh, big adventures and things? Oh, absolutely, and uh, that's what I would love to do. You know, this was is actually my third trip to Alaska this year, and um, you know, to be up there and like kind of call it. I have to quote this, like put air quotes up because it's like a work trip. You know, uh, like pinch me. You know that it was it was awesome. But I'd love to get into more. That's what I'm trying to do is get into more trips like that. I'd, I think that um, a good photographer with a, a strong back and good legs is kind of hard to come by sometimes. And I, I feel like I got an advantage on some guys and, and I can keep up with just about anybody, I feel like. And so if I can keep myself in good shape, hopefully I can get on some mountain goat or sheep hunts or, you know, um, that's what I'd, I'd love to do. And, in the, you know, I'd just to be able to say that that's work um, is pretty awesome, I think. Dude, right? Um, yeah, you're you're right. Like, it takes this skill set and takes this toughness, too. Like, you got to be able to mentally grind with your hunter, and, and you're not ever going to shoot anything. I mean, you're shooting through your camera, don't get me wrong, and you're getting the experience, but um man it's like um you got to have that same drive that same good attitude that same toughness as the guys that you're hunting with and and it it becomes a a real 
like a, a, a team endeavor. Like, um, you know, I know my cameraman that I team up with, like it's it, it seems like it's me and him trying to get it done, you know, against all odds. And especially like with the bow and on public ground and trying to sneak two people into range, it's so challenging. And you, you fail a lot, you know. You spook animals. Things don't come together. You can't find animals and got to put in big miles. And, yeah, like I – you know, I've been training year round and thinking about nothing about, you know, other than this hunt that I'm going to go on and putting everything into it. And um, to have a cameraman that has the, the same go forward attitude and teams up with you, dude, it's a huge asset. And um, yeah, just like you say, like like building your name, like um, uh, your page speaks for itself, like um, able to capture these awesome images. And um, sounds like you did video on that brown bear hunt as well so yeah man um I, i'm sure you're gonna do nothing but build your name and be able to go on more of these ventures and yeah i'd i'd love to team up with you on one of these things and go try to capture it sounds like you'd be the perfect fit well man that would be awesome yeah i, I would love to do that um and and i should say that it sounds glam like i can make it sound like uh glamorous or easy but you know i i would probably say that 95 percent of people i know would would have been on Kodiak and while I'm sitting there like under this tarp flapping in the rain and just kind of grinning because I feel like this is awesome. Most people would have thought, you know, this is miserable. Why am I here? <laughs> but, um, you know, and it's not like it's easy, but, um, at the same time, like I'm just passionate about it. And so, um, I find it fun because it, it's just challenging and, um, to, to, to be out there and, and to, to make something out of like those harsh conditions and, uh, keep up and, and get experience at all it's it's um it's awesome i love it man it's it's all perspective isn't it it's like just having that good attitude and embracing the grind like it you know it's it, it's not fun all the time or it is fun for guys like us that embrace it but you know you can turn it into a miserable trip like in the the rain and in the wind and tough miles or whatever you know you can turn it in your brain where you really want to be home or you want to quit or you want to be done with it or you embrace it and you embrace nature and the challenge that's in front of you and um dig every moment of it you know and and um it, it, and that's like the attitude that that um gets animals on the ground you know it's like in embracing the grind and enjoying it and, and really you know to, to guys like me and you, that's what life's all about is these experiences we get to have and pushing ourselves mentally and physically. And when you embrace it like that and enjoy the process, success just comes. Like you get that epic photo or that epic video. You you make that kill shot and harvest that animal, which you've done. You know, you're a well-accomplished bow hunter yourself, which would make for a great cameraman because um, – a lot of it is hunting instincts and, you know, not not moving when you're in the back position or knowing what you can get away with and what you can't. So there's so much that, that plays into it. And a lot of times I think there's more pressure on the cameraman than there is the shooter. Like uh, I've seen um, a cameraman like uh, uh, get more of an adrenaline rush than I think I do, you know, trying to capture it with the pressure on. Like it is not easy to do in the moment. Like you got one chance to get it and to capture it. And you're in the back position. You don't have like the the best vantage on the animal, or maybe you're coming up over an edge. And boy, it's like this this real trust relationship between the hunter and the videographer to try to capture that. And boy, it's sure magic when it comes together. Oh man, it is. Yeah, it just it it really is. It's awesome. Yeah, super cool. Well, um. Dude, I've really enjoyed uh, getting to meet you and have you on the podcast and like have this uh, in-depth conversation. Um, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, you know, it, it's fun. It's fun. Um, it's good to chat with you and love to love to do a hunt sometime if we could. That would be great. Or if you know anybody, that'd be fun. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. And I, I got some. I got a bunch of video. I got all my photos done from that brown bear hunt right after, and I, I'm sorting through video now. But um, I got a bunch of cool video clips. I'll be getting out there and stuff soon here too so oh super cool i can't wait dude um yeah let's uh let's keep in touch for sure see if we can connect on one of these hunts and yeah if anybody's looking for a good photographer videographer uh sound um i really think brenton would do a solid job for you yeah so look him up shoot him a message on instagram and um yeah thanks again buddy appreciate it all right thanks brian all right guys that's a wrap Fun conversation with Brenton. Um, I just love these people I get to meet through the podcast and have these in-depth conversations and uh, true adventures, you know. Um, uh, some of those, um, like that 
Kodiak Island is just wild to me. Uh, I love hearing about those super adventures. And um, I love going on the super adventures as well. Uh, can't wait to start planning out this next season and um, figure out where I'm going to go and what I'm going to hunt and um, then try to get myself ready for these endeavors. So uh, thanks again to Matthews. Absolutely loving these bows. Uh, loving this new bow, this 2022, this um, uh, V3X thing is just a shooter. Again, I went with the 29-inch, uh, messing with some arrow setups now, and um, man, the thing is just shooting. So I uh, can't wait to see what I can do this year with it. Also want to thank Eastman's for their support of their podcast, uh, support of everything that I do. Um, just uh, uh, the um, absolute staple of Western hunting, you know, 30 years in, in the industry, um, you know, Guy and Ike are great guys that, that run the company, have um, uh, purchased it from Mike Eastman, and um, they just do a great job with it. And, uh, you know, they're always up for new ideas and uh, always supportive of, of me and um, the bow hunting I do. And so just can't thank those guys enough for their support. Uh, make sure to check them out, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. And um, check out the other podcasts we have. Uh, Todd Helms is running a wingman podcast if you're into bird hunting. Um, they also uh, have a new one, the Predator podcast um, uh, for predator hunting. And uh, also check out uh, Flycast that I do every couple weeks about uh, fly fishing. Just getting back from a, a family trip, like a fly fishing adventure as well. Did a week uh, in the Bahamas fishing the flats for bonefish and um yeah, it was quite a, quite a trip. So talk about it uh, this week on Flycast. It, it's just wild, you know, to go without a guide and, and to go figure out these flats and go hunt these bonefish and just put in a bunch of miles. And it's just a different kind of wilderness, um, but super fun and, and super fun sight fishing for these things. And then they fight really hard. And so uh, had a great time and a great vacation with my family. So that was super cool. And um Man, with that, just um, back to work, getting in my run yesterday in the wind and the cold and uh, wintertime training. So um, really enjoying it and um, can't wait for this next season. And with that, um, let's wrap this thing up and uh, check in with you guys next week.